Have you found Mark 10? <laughs> okay, because that's your fault if you haven't. <laughs> Verse 17, I'm just going to read this passage. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? If you run up to somebody and fall on your knees, like you're trying to get his attention. Like there's, I feel like this is an act of desperation from him. He's questioning something that's important. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Different theologians say different things. This appears to me for Jesus to be saying, that's because you're calling me God, and I am not rejecting that claim. Nobody good but God, and that's me. You know the commandments, he says. You shall not murder, and you can almost feel this guy, check. You shall not commit adultery, check. You shall not steal, check. Shall not give false testimony eh, on the fence, but pretty check. Shall not defraud, comma. Honor your father and mother. And don't you love the confidence of youth? Because what does the young man say? Got it. All of it. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And of course, the question is then, why is he so scared? And Jesus looked at him, and I love this. And Jesus loved him. You notice that John and uh, I mean Luke and Matthew leave this part out. This, if this is Peter's story, this is Peter who has seen the look of love from Jesus before because Peter had screwed it up a lot and seen that look of love from Jesus. He says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed. They're thinking, man, if this guy can't get in, who can? But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it? What did Jesus just call them in the passages before? You must become like children. You must become like children. Children, he's reminding them how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Then the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who can be saved? How is it possible? We're all in trouble. Then Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible for sure, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then Peter spoke up, but we've left everything to follow you. And truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age of homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Jesus was about to watch a guy walk away a winner and still be a loser. Let's pray. That's God's word. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word today would be the light and the lamp that you promised that it would be. Pray that for all of us that have come from our different backgrounds and our different struggles and different stories that you're the same Jesus for all of us. 
Father, today I, I lift up our friends up at Gateway. This is their last Sunday in their facility. I know Pastor Charlie, there's a lot of weight on them this morning, and I just pray that you would be with them, that your name is being lifted high right there in that church this morning, that you would uh, get them through and bless them as they're making this journey into the next transition. And for Lord, for the churches all around our community that are lifting your name high, for Mark at Southview Church, Jesus, I know your Holy Spirit's all over that place this morning. Pray that your name would be lifted high there, lifted high up the street at New River, and that today we'd lift your name high here at Conduit Church. We are all on the same team, the kingdom of God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. When my mom passed away, has anybody been in the room with anyone who has stepped into eternity at the time? It's holy ground, isn't it? But I remember my mom was asking kind of, she was sort of in and out of lucidity and question of, have I done enough? Is this enough? 61 years old, James Boyd, James, are you in here? Somewhere. Uh, was with somebody recently who was stepping into eternity and the guy's question at the end of his life was, am I missing something? Have I done enough? Is it enough? It's a question that we're all gonna end up asking on one level or another, whether you're young or whether you're old. It might take on a different form. Have I done, done enough? What do I need to do to, answer, you know, to get eternal life? What must I do? That's a question that we're all gonna be asking, whether it's on your deathbed or whether you're... It, 15, I was with a, a young man last night and he was kind of answering, asking the same question. The sooner, by the way, you ask that question and the sooner you hear the answer to that question and respond to it in the love that Jesus has, man, the better your life will be. Now, by the way, this is gonna be a two-parter because here is these guys, you know, this rich young ruler asking this question and then Peter, meanwhile, is like, hey, yeah, but excuse me, Jesus, we've done this and we've been totally screwed, so what, what up with that? <laughs> so we're going to answer that question next week. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've done this, and you're like, well, why does it not seem like it worked out the way that I thought it was going to work out? That's next week. But this week, this rich young ruler is asking a question that all of us either have asked, are asking, or will ask in our lifetime. And then the real question is what we believe the answer to that question is. Our entire lives are going to be framed around that. Even if we don't verbalize what we think the answer is, our lives will be framed. Our lives, our behavior will be framed around what we believe the answer to that question is. And then lastly, the question, the real answer, which is what did Jesus say? What, he said you lack one thing. Like what's Jesus's answer to that question? That's what we're gonna talk about in the few minutes that we have. He says here, what must I do to eat, inherit eternal life? He's probably talking specifically about Daniel 12, verse 2, in the Jewish faith, they would believe that at some point we're all going to rise again, right? This is not just a New Testament idea. The prophet said, Daniel 12, 2, that uh, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt and shame. And this guy is basically saying, how do I get the not shame and contempt one? Like, that's the one that I want to sign up for, right? Doesn't that sound like a winner? That's what he's saying. And, and Jesus is saying, well, look, you've done these commandments, right? This is, you know what it means to get into it. Interesting, because I think that this is not, a, I know it's not a new problem, the eternal life problem, the how do I keep going? What does Ecclesiastes 3 tell us? Eternity is written on your hearts. 
So if you've been around someone who's passing, especially in a hospital situation, you medical professionals could attest to this, that what does the body do? The heart begins to divert all the blood and oxygen away from the organs that aren't as important. Your fingers, your toes, it begins to divert blood and oxygen to the uh, organs that are gonna keep you alive, ultimately to your brain. Your blood is trying to stay alive. Your blood, your blood, your heart is beating because your heart, even at a physiological level, Tim, knows that death is an enemy. And so eternity, listen, is written on your heart heart. Your heart wants to keep you alive. It knows that death is an enemy. Now he's saying here, uh, if I keep all these commandments, that's what he, you know, that's my question. How do I get eternal life? The funny thing, and I say funny because as the more I've really thought about it this week, I've found it more and more entertaining because the question of what does it take to get eternal life? If you are in Silicon Valley these days, there is a big business in living forever. I don't know, I mean, some of y'all that I know there are readers and podcasters, Don, I don't know if you've seen any of these stories, but this is all happening right now. They're in Silicon Valley, so these would be secular humanists, okay? They're not saying, how can I be good enough to stay forever? They're actually saying, I am good enough and I deserve to stay forever because I'm rich. And these guys and girls are investing hundreds of millions of dollars did you know this? To, with bio companies, tech companies, to try to cheat death. How many keto people in here? You be real straight. Right. How's that working out for you right now for me? Anyway, oh, but Dave Asprey, the guy, bulletproof coffee guy, he's like trying to biohack his body to live to 180 years old. But that's actually chump change compared to what's happening with the Silicon Valley billionaires. This was a, a story of the Silicon Valley quest for immortality is the fate worse than death. And it begins to talk about these guys like Peter Thiel, uh, founder of PayPal, is literally transfusing blood. So if you're an 18 year old, young buck, healthy, he's doing blood transfusions from his old man body, from your young man blood to try to keep him alive longer. There are guys that are, in, I swear to you, injecting fetal lamb cells into their butt. For God only knows why, but they're doing it to keep them alive longer. Something they've found, some technology. But look, uh, and by the way, Elon Musk, these are our rich young rulers. You understand why I'm, where I'm driving at with this? What must I do to get eternal life? Elon Musk is saying if you can put computer chips in and you can biohack your body, that that's how you can live into immortality. But this was on the Wall Street Journal just this Friday, the cover of it. Your uh, uploaded mind, would it still be you? There's a company in Silicon Valley right now that has been attempting to uh, hack into this idea that if you could upload your consciousness into the computer, a computer, that that is still you, and so you live on beyond your life. Now, fascinating, by the way, that they wouldn't say upload your body into the computer. They're saying upload your consciousness into it. In the Christian world, we would refer to that as your spirit. These are getting awfully close to religious questions, aren't they? 
By the way, there's a growing course of neuroscientists out there who are saying that there is something inside of you that is beyond a neuroscience, beyond a synapse firing, that is a consciousness that they can't measure in an MRI, they can't see it in an x-ray, it's there and they can't explain it. Now these guys think that if they can figure out how to upload that, that you, Chris Vroman, could live forever in a computer as you because the real you isn't this, it's what's inside of you. Isn't that fascinating? Sergey Brin, Larry Page, their little company, Coleco, which isn't that a video game company, Coleco, from back in the day? Anyway, they've called it Coleco, and their idea is to, in their words, is solve death. Isn't that funny? Because Jesus didn't choose to solve death. He chose to defeat death. These guys are talking about cheating death, prolonging death, but Jesus says the way to defeat death is you get dead and then you're not dead. Resurrection, that's the promise of Jesus. My point is that this is a question that is being asked, whether you're religious or you're irreligious, whether you're secular or whether you're Christian, whether you are a Chinese emperor drinking mercury tablets, or whether you're a Silicon Valley billionaire injecting lamb fetus into your rear end, these are questions we're all trying to solve because eternity was written in our hearts, because death is an enemy. What must I do to get eternal life? And what you believe that answer is will change everything about the way that you live. Because the way that this guy was living, right, was I've done all of these things. So he believes the 10 commandments, and if I get these 10 commandments, then I'm good, I'm in. And what does Jesus say? He's actually saying, you're right. So let's start with, the commandments, how you doing here? Defrauding. How many of you have raised children? Okay. How many of you are children? Sorry, keep your, keep your hands up. <laughs> I see those hands, Paul Trevet. Uh, he says, since I was a boy, I've kept these. Honor your father and mother. <laughs> since I was a boy, I've not lied. Okay, so we're not even out of the gate and he's already busted, right? I mean, seriously, would that stand up in any court of law? And Jesus, though, he takes it a little bit deeper than that. And I love this because it says he looked at him with love. Because it's not that this guy isn't a, quote, good guy. It's that his doctrine of good is wrong. It, to put it differently, Jesus was pointing out, as far as money here goes... It wasn't that money was the sin, it's that his love of it. Jesus was showing him that he had an idol in front of him called money. Money, you understand, isn't in and of itself a sin. The love of it is a sin. And so Jesus was basically showing him, hey, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, what if I ask you, I'm God, I've asked you to do this, and would you do it? And he says, no, thank you. He's showing him that there's an idol in front of him. That is definitely a part of what it is. It can't be less than what it is, but I think that it's more than what it is. There's something more going on here. In 2013, I'm gonna see how many more in second service know this than in first service. Anybody, uh, anybody know who the M&M is? I'm not talking about the candy. In 2013, the M&M releases a song 
called The Monster Under My Bed. And this song, The Monster Under My Bed, was a, uh, a song with the, with the Rihanna, not the Ariana Grande, there's the Rihanna. See, I'm very culturally relevant. You have literally <laughs> no idea how cool I think I am. <laughs> Lauren knows how cool I think I am. The monster under my bed was him saying, I got famous, I got rich, I got on the cover of all these magazines, and, but there's still a monster under my bed. And the monster under my bed was me. He had something happen that not many people will get. And that is that he got everything he always wanted. And he figured something out. I got it all, and when I got there, I was still me. I was still me. It didn't change any of it. And so his solution is I need to make friends with the monster under my bed. And what Jesus, when he's looking at this guy with love, he's saying to this guy, the monster under your bed is your power and your wealth and you're just trying to make friends with it and it's going to kill you. Unload it. And everybody in this room has a monster under your bed. It might be your parenting. You, I, it, to, to put it differently, the monster under your bed is anything that I am giving so much power to that it's for my joy, it's my purpose, my meaning. And if I don't have this, it all goes away. Some of us, it is parenting. In, in America, we have what we call the kindergarten. Do you know about kindergarten, where the kids rule the world? But we take, as parents, we put all this pressure on us that if I screw this up as a parent, it's all over and my life has no meaning and no purpose. I'm trying to, that's my meaning, that's my purpose, that's my legacy, my life, and I'm putting a weight on my children that will crush them because they were never meant to bear it. That happens when you have a lot of money. Jesus picked on money in this one, saying a lot of money. But you know if you have not very much money, the same problem can happen. I mean, why do you think Dave Ramsey built such a big building? Because there's that many people in that much debt that need help. People who didn't have enough decided to borrow it. $1.5 trillion in student loans in our country right now. Because people who didn't have enough money needed to get more money. And I don't mean this in any form of judgment whatsoever. But you've got $80,000 in student loans for a job that's paying you $30,000 a year. And on what planet does that make sense? Except for that there was a monster under your bed. In our Western culture, one of the greatest rich young ruler moments of our culture is sex, sexual behavior, sexual identity. There's a problem going on right now in Silicon Valley, or Silicon Valley, in the UK, of where HIV AIDS across the world has been on the decline in every develop, uh, developing nation, African, sub-Saharan African, HIV AIDS is on the decline. Do you know where it's not on the decline? In Western culture, in Europe, in the UK in what's happening that's called chemsex parties. It's we're going to take enormous amounts of drugs and we're gonna have sex with everybody for days. And what's happening now is HIV AIDS, which was under control, is no longer under control. Now it's growing in a specific subset. The, the, uh, the, the actual language, this is the author, uses the language of a group, it's of a marginalized group, but it speaks of that group of men that have sex with men, transgender, sex workers. There's groups of people where this is on the rise. And so the writer, by the way, the solution says, well, then we need to teach them more about safety 
And what Jesus would, I think, say, whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, somewhere in between sexual, that it is a monster under the bed, and if I bring it under the lordship of Jesus, that it will fix and cure. Otherwise, I'm making friends with the monster under my bed, and it is killing them, and it will kill us. Now, I'm not picking on sex because I'm a conservative any more than Jesus was picking on money because he's a liberal. He's just saying these are things that if you bring it under the lordship of Christ, it solves enormous amounts of problems in your life. He looked at him with love and said, this is what's going to kill you. Are you willing to kill the monster under your bed? And this guy, it says he grieved, he walked away sad because he had great wealth. I think another way to word it is he walked away sad because this is his identity. This is who I am. If I don't have this, I don't have anything else. And that could be true. Like I said, in Williamson County, I can pick on all we can. Everybody in here has a thing where we could say, this is my monster under my bed that I am holding onto. And Jesus is just saying, look, would you be willing to walk away from it? You're believing if I keep this that I'll be happy. I had a, a, a meeting with a young man last night who's oh, just a, God bless him, he's such a beautiful young man, 15. He's an old soul. I love this kid. And he's made some decisions that have put him in a place right now where he's in a, a treatment center. And, and he told me this. I really appreciated his honesty. He said, you know, Darren, it's not that um, I don't believe that there's a God. It's that I don't want there to be. Because I know there is, but I believe, but then if I do that, then I lose all my freedom and all my... And here he is in a treatment center where he can't even take a leak without getting permission. Holding on to his freedom. And Jesus was offering this man ultimate freedom to walk away from this. Now that said, the question, what am I gonna need to get eternal life, right? What I believe about it, is it with works? Is it with money? If I have enough money, then I can get my way into it. This Wall Street Journal article is fascinating because they say that one of the, uh, the challenges in this is that who gets in to the machine? This is in this Wall Street Journal article, this writer was talking about who gets into the machine is the big question. Who gets to decide who's good and who's evil? Who's good enough who, for the consciousness to get into it? And says that religion is where this could become very dangerous because religion says if you're good, you get in, you're bad, you get out. Absolutely, the writer nails religion. That's not what Jesus was selling. Man's best attempt means someone still has to decide whether you get into the machine. By the way, I don't believe this is physically possible. I just want to go on record as saying this is quacky and billions of dollars later, someday, just like Buddha, just like Mohammed, we're going to get to walk over the graves of Larry Page and Sergey Brin, not because they're bad, just because they're humans. And one day they're all going to get to resurrect and have to answer to the question that they should have answered before they died. Will you be willing to? But Jesus said this. Now listen, we don't have much time. But Jesus said this, you lack one thing. He said this to the rich man. And then he lists four things. <laughs> it's three things in Mark, but if you add the Matthew version, there's four. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Matthew adds, take up your cross, follow me. So is Jesus just really bad at math? <laughs> or... We're none of those the one thing. 
Because what does he say? He says what it is. It's right there in front of us. And you will have treasure in heaven. You lack one thing. You lack treasure in heaven. And gang, this is some of the most beautiful gospel. And I pray that God will bless these words beyond my ability to communicate. Because if you get them, it'll change everything about the way you live. Because you will walk away, the last will be first, the first will be, you'll be walk away a loser and still be a winner. What is the treasure that he's talking about? When I stand before Christ, who is my treasure, not what is my treasure? When he says, take up your cross and follow me, you understand, was it Orson Welles that says that you know, every story can have a happy ending, it just depends on where you end it? Take up your cross, you end the story there. It's a sad story. But he didn't say, take up your cross. He says, follow me. Where was Jesus going? Resurrection. Your resurrection, your treasure is Jesus because he, there is none good. You'll never be good enough. You just won't be. You just, you can't be. And he says, that's okay. I'm going to be. And because I am, you will stand before Father one day in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords of the entire universe, and he'll look at you in Christ and say, you're good, you're in. And it had nothing to do with how good or how bad you were. Everything to do with what Jesus did. And I know you hear that week in and week out, but understand that that treasure, what does the parable in Matthew 19 say? That a man saw a field and he knew there was this treasure buried in it and he went and sold everything he had because that treasure to get it because it was worth it. That treasure of you. Because if you're Peter Thiel, if you're Sergey Brin, if you're Elon Musk and you're a secular humanist, you have to admit that one day the sun will go dark, that this universe will be gone and your little computer, sim game, whatever, even that is gone. Only Christianity lasts beyond even that. And in that, you stand before the Father righteous and good and perfect and it has nothing to do, Michael, with how good you are, nothing to do with how awesome, everything to do with how good he is and the work that he did he is your treasure. That was what he lacked. Now, is that worth selling everything you have and following him? We're, we're going to talk about that next week, by the way. I mean, that's Peter going, well, but wait, 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 Jesus, we did all that. What, what about us? For those of you that have made that decision to follow Christ, there's a promise here that begins in this life and in the life to come. It's not just in the life to come, it's in this life. But for those of you sitting in this room right now, I would be willing to bet that some of you have tried to answer the question of have I done enough based on do I go to church? Do I go to church enough? Do I tithe enough? Have I quit cussing enough? Do I not drink too much? Am I? You're putting it all on a behavior and that is it and Jesus is saying none of that was ever gonna work ever anyway. And it's so great because he says, you know, don't commit adultery. Don't. Those are the 10 commandments. That's the law. But what does Jesus say? Hey, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you've even looked on a woman with lust, it's almost like the 10 commandments. Even that was lowering the standard just to try to get you in and you still can't get in. If you're towing a 
car with a chain and one link breaks in the chain, the whole thing's off, the whole operation's over. It's one link in the chain, it's all over and Jesus was well aware of that. I ask a question at the beginning. The question we all have to ask, have I done enough? Is there one thing? What do I need to do? What, is there anything else I would add? Some of you are younger asking it. Some of you are older. I dare you to ask it today and I dare you to respond to the answer that Jesus would give. Which is I'm the one. I'm the treasure. Take up your cross. Follow me. You're following me to eternity. You're following me out of the machine. You're following me out of this earth. You're following me into this new heaven, this new earth. I've come to seek and to save you. And here's the best part. Look, if, you, if, we, were, if we were a really charismatic church, somebody would be start shouting what I'm about to say. But listen, no, I'm telling you, this is good. Because not only, I really baked that one up, didn't I? Uh, not only, okay, is he your treasure, you are his treasure. The coin that he went and found, the coin of infinite worth, the lost sheep, the Jesus that descended first so that he might ascend to bring you, you are the treasure for him. And I hope you understand that today. He went for a lot of work, went to a lot of trouble so that he could bring you with him into eternity, you, Charlie, are the treasure. I'm gonna pray for you right now, but I wanna ask everybody in this room if you would bow your head, close your eyes. That's not a spiritual thing. I just wanted you to focus. But I wanna challenge you this morning to ask yourself the question and I wanna challenge you, admonish you, dare you to listen to the words of Jesus this morning and respond accordingly. If you don't know if I, have I done enough? Am I asking that question? Have I believed? Have I, have I made that statement, this declarative, I'm repenting, I'm turning around, I'm following you, Jesus? If that is you and you, you don't know if I've done that yet. I don't know if I've done enough. In the Holy Spirit right now, you're feeling that's kind of speaking to me. That's not Darren, that's the Holy Spirit. Would you listen to the Holy Spirit this morning? Would you respond to the Holy Spirit this morning? I'm going to pray for all of us, but you, I would invite you to pray, specifically you, to Jesus. You do not need me in between you and God. You have Jesus. You get to go directly to him. And I encourage you to pray this morning a prayer of repentance, a prayer of belief, a prayer of I declare it, Lord, I'm believing, I wanna follow you. However words, by the way, the word help, that's also a prayer. Just whatever is words you could get, just say those to Jesus this morning. And then I would encourage you to come and find me, find David Schindel, email us, we'd love to baptize you. We'd love for you to, oh, to join the family of God, to join into what we're gonna talk about next week, which is the you gain brothers and sisters and lands and rewards this side of heaven and the next. I would love for you to join that family, that tribe but this morning it just starts with you believing. If you're already a believer, would you be praying as well, praying for those who maybe the Holy Spirit is knocking on their heart? And I would say, if that's you right now, why not now? Why would you wait? Why would, listen, why would you walk away sad? Why wouldn't you kick the monster out from under your bed 
and put Jesus with you. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that your word would be a light, that it would be that lamp. God, I know, Holy Spirit, you're here right now. You are knocking on the doors of people's hearts. We don't need a magic keyboard. We just need the Holy Spirit speaking into us. Lord, I believe right now there are young people whose hearts you're knocking on their door. Lord, would you give them the courage to say yes? You're drawing them. You're bringing them. It's your spirit that wants them. You want, the, the, you want them to be the treasure that you get to take with you, Jesus, into eternity. And we, Jesus, get to take you as our treasure into eternity. I pray this morning, Lord, that that Holy Spirit, that you are moving, speaking, nudging, knocking, and that it won't just stop here, but your spirit will continue to move upon us even as we leave here today. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.